0: (音声) Oh, my God goodness, y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the How to Fix a Broken Record podcast. I'm Mina Brown, the author of the book, How to Fix a Broken Record. And I thought it would be really cool to uh, be able to explore the themes of how to fix a broken record in a podcast. So thank you for listening and tuning in. I am really excited about this podcast in part because it's giving me a chance to talk to some people that I haven't talked to in a while. So uh, this guest that we have on our episode so this time is somebody that I could probably have a 2 hour episode of just because I want to talk to her about so many things. But I want to welcome Dr. Una Mulali to the podcast. Hey Una, Dr. Una, hi. I don't know what my official stuff should <laughs> hi, be. Hi Amina, hi everyone. <laughs> I am really thank excited. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for agreeing to do this, y'all. I this is the 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 wonder of technology that I am here uh, in America, and Una is in Botswana, and we are here talking, having a conversation. I'm so excited about that. And I'm also excited for those of you who are either currently reading the book or are looking forward to reading the book, Uh, Una is a real-life mention in the book, a real-life character, (laughs) so to speak. Uh, She plays such a big role uh, in the home section of the book particularly in the Roots chapter. So I'm super excited to get to know her more and for you all to get to know her more. So I want to uh, just give a little history, Una, of how we know each other. And then I might try to just come in on asking you a few questions so that you can discuss with us your uh, concept of home and just the amazing things going on in your home country also. Okay, so I met Una... Uh, those of you that will be uh, checking the book out or are already doing so, uh, I tell you the story of how I met Una at a women's conference, and she looked so fierce, y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all. I still think about that outfit sometimes, Una. Like
1: red hair, red hair. Ooh, yes, she had
0: the red hair, y'all. She had, she had this like African print skirt with like all the hips My and mom's everything. Skirt really oh that skirt was so beautiful like that's what made me stop and talk to her she didn't know me at all but I was just like girl I need to just talk to you about the way you are serving us in this outfit it was fantastic so that's what introduced us to each other and then I got to hear a little bit more about Una's life as a doctor and just her heart for her home country that even as she was in America finishing up some education, her whole intent and goal was always to return home. And then the next time I saw Una in true Una fashion, she and her best friend, Leah, (laughs) invited me to Africa. They were like, we don't care what you doing. (laughs) This is true. you need to come to Africa with us. (laughs) And they're not the first people to have this conversation with me. You know, I've had other people be like, you need to come to Uganda with me. You need to come to Kenya with me, so on. And I was just Mm -hmm. always like, I'm not going to Africa with you. Like, I can't. Um,
1: I'm glad you came with us. (laughs) Yes.
0: Like, as soon as you started telling me a little bit more about it. So let's enter right there, Una, because people are going to get to hear my side of the story in the book. But... Here we are at uh, IF Gathering. Actually, we were at IF Gathering in Austin, Texas. Una and Leah, her best friend, and Missy, my sister-in-law, who some of you may be familiar with from my Here for the Donuts podcast uh, that Missy and I do together. So the four of us are walking down the steps. IF Gathering's (laughs) over. We're headed to the after party. Una and Leah turn to me and say... I think you actually turned to me and said, we have something we need to talk to you about.
1: <laughs> yeah. We literally, I don't even know when it was. We just decided, hmm, we should ask her to come with us. Cause we were having um, a gala in Botswana and basically it was a gratitude gala for the doctors and healers of Botswana. And we wanted to say thank you for the work that you do. You face a lot of difficult situations and we were just putting together a very, artsy, fun night. And we were like, wouldn't it be fun if Amina and her husband came? (laughs) And we were like, hmm, she should come. So we just were like, we would like for you to come to Botswana with us and be part of this gratitude night. (laughs) That's
0: actually what happened. (laughs) Once y'all described it to me, I was like, (laughs) well, this sounds amazing. Like it was the first time that anyone had ever invited me to Africa that I yeah. felt peaceful about it, mm-hmm. because I knew mm-hmm. that since it was your home, that it would yeah. be very honoring to right. your people, yeah. and I think that's a part of the tensions I have felt in our previous invitations. Mm-hmm. Not that you can ever obviously judge anyone's motives or anything, but mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. in America, there's some very strange ways that people want to connect to Africa that are not always right. best for the people there right that are yeah. that are not well, always with the best
1: intentions you know yeah yeah and i i think that's because africa's narrative has never belonged to africa right so everyone has to form their own view of what africa is and mm. why they would like to connect with africa through what they hear from humanitarians or missionaries or photographers or whoever else you know so um even even you know us africans or I'm um, I'm a motswana specifically but we get very anxious about people coming <laughs> sometimes and you know it it creates um cuz you're already coming with a preconceived notion of how it will be mm. here you know which I think that's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. That's just how life works, but um, it can get a little testy.
0: Right. Okay. So take me, I need you to rewind us from this moment that I'm meeting you. There's all of this history Mm -hmm. of what led you to this gratitude gala and those things. So Tell us a little bit of the Una story. I know that you were born <laughs> and raised in Botswana. I want I want you to tell us a little bit about just how you would describe your time of having grown up in your family yeah. um, in Botswana, yeah. and then what led you on your journey to become a doctor that then led you away from Botswana, and then why yeah. you chose
1: to come back. Tell us a little bit about that yeah. story. Yeah, so, yeah, I did grow up in Botswana, and uh, I had a very interesting upbringing. (laughs) Both my parents were very, um, they were from very poor backgrounds, Mm -hmm. uh, very rural, very poor, and my dad was actually... um, uh, the the last child of the last wife. So his mm. father had four wives and he was the last child of the last wife and his dad died in adolescence. So there was no money for school or for anything. Um, my mom was adopted by her mom who was a paraplegic so Mm -hmm. essentially they grew up in rural Botswana with nothing and then they had us six kids and they wanted to give us everything so my dad worked really hard he joined the police and he took us to school and he used to like take us on these game drives and little safaris and he got us passports when we were like 10 so it was a very interesting life where your parents really want to do something for you and they expose you to the different things you Mm -hmm. know good school and reading and travel and all these things, but they never forgot where we came from. So every school holiday we were back in the village without shoes, sleeping under the African sky, you know, milking the goats, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, growing our own food, that kind of life. And my father had actually always wanted to be a doctor. So was like, you're going to be a doctor. I had to choose it for myself, but ultimately I decided that's what I was going to do. And at the time I went into training, there were no medical schools in Botswana. So I had to leave Botswana. So that's how I ended up in the U S for my training. And I became a pediatrician. Mm. I think for me, like my upbringing was always, um, there was something about, uh, I don't know whether I can use the word rooting, rooting Mm. me to, to, myself or to myself, not meaning individual, but the self that is my grandparents, Mm -hmm. my uncles, my nephews, my nieces, right? Because we grew up like in a community as well as a nuclear family. Mm -hmm. And, um, our upbringing was so like that whole thing. It takes a village to raise a child is very, very true. Mm. And so, I think for me, even leaving Botswana, I was always the Botswana child. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in New York treating all these kids, I kept thinking to myself, the kids in Botswana don't have, well, some of the kids in Botswana don't have a pediatrician. And I myself have never seen a pediatrician as a child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by then I had nieces and nephews. And I'm thinking the care that I'm providing here is care that my nieces and nephews have no access to. And they are nobody's responsibility but mine, right? Mm. Or mine as an individual and mine as a collective Motswana or Botswana, right? Um, because there's that part of me that's me individually, then there's that part of me where Botswana is in me and I'm in Botswana. Mm. So for me, it always meant coming back home because it, it, it's no, home is nobody's responsibility, but mine, mm. you know? Um, yeah, so yeah, so <laughs> I traveled a lot and we, we experienced a lot and, um, the journey would always led, I think also, uh, to backtrack when I was 18, I made the decision to become a Christian. Mm. And I think sometimes like, you know, like a, a path opens before you, like God just shows you your life and you just kind of know, whether you want to call it calling or purpose or whatever, you just kind of know what your life is about. So I just knew that I would work with children and I would work with children in Botswana. And I just had this sort of deep-seated desire to come back home and help start the first children's hospital. Mm -hmm. So that was always something that guided me, you know. Mm -hmm. So the path wasn't straight. I thought I'd go to medical school, become a pediatrician, come home, there'll be a hospital. (laughs) Boy, was I wrong. But (laughs) that's a different story because it's still... you know, I left Botswana in 1999. There's still no hospital, but I am finally home. So, right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's the short version of the story.
0: Okay. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit more in talking about home? You're leaving home mm-hmm. in Botswana to go to America to get your education for this calling that you felt since you mm-hmm. were a young person. What was yeah. it like being away from home, but also having to find some elements that you were going to make home for the time that you were in school? What was that like? Yeah. Was were, Did you experience culture
1: shock in that? Oh, definitely. I think, um, so I grew up in Botswana, right? I like went to a private school, but it, I also like lived in the village. So I had this kind of interesting... Uh, life. (laughs) That was a mixture of, you know, what my parents wanted for me and what my parents had been or who they were or how they were raised. And it was this mixture of, in one sense, tons of poverty and in another sense, middle class life. Mm. Um, And I think that teaches you humility and it, it sort of, it almost, you don't think you're different from other people that are poorer than you or that have less than you, Mm. but you also don't think you're different from people that have more than you, Mm. you know? Then you leave Botswana and you you go to America and then you learn that people have a perception of Africa. And actually for me, this was culture shock because I think what people don't realize is Africa is in one giant blob and all the experiences are the same, Mm -hmm. right? So I go to, to America, Never having been a starving child, never having been a child who never went to school, never, you know, that, that wasn't my story. There's never been a war in Botswana. There's never been a famine in Botswana. There's, like, it just wasn't my story. <laughs> and then I get to America and people have this perception of Africa and who I should be as an mm. African. <laughs> and it, it, it was very jarring. It was very like, what? No, I don't. Huh, like, <laughs> yes, I can tell you stories about walking to go fetch water for miles, but I can also tell you stories about sitting for international exams and competing in debates and like English literature and like art and all these things that I got to do so um, I think that was the biggest thing for me is the, the how how singular the story of Africa is in America, you know? Yeah. And then you, you kind of learn to to live in that context, but, you know, to redefine yourself. Because mm. th- the places I grew up, I, th- I think, okay, I grew up in Botswana as a child, but I grew up in America as an adult, right? I became an adult in America. I left Botswana when I was 21 and I was in the U.S. for 14 years. So, like those two places have shaped me the most. Mm -hmm. So creating um, a self that that can live in a space that felt once very not accepting of who I was because I didn't fit into the cliche picture that they had of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then being able to say, okay, that's not me. This is me. And this is how this is what I love about this society and this home. And this is what will shape me about this society and this home, but it doesn't take away this society and this home. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So for me, both places, the U S and Botswana uh, have, have shaped me. And in some ways are both home for me, mm. you know, cause I've spent the most time in both those two places. Mhm mhm yeah yeah wow. but you do have to to find yourself because otherwise people tell you who you are and you're just like okay this is who I am but no it's it's not who you are like i as an african have a story that i can tell mm-hmm. and i think it's very important for the african narrative to belong to the african Because I think until that happens, people will always be presumptive of of who we are and what our lives are like and, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I love that. For
0: the African narrative (laughs) to belong to the African, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I hear that echoing in so many ways, particularly when I'm talking with people of color from all over the world. There is this reclaiming of these Mm -hmm. are our stories. Absolutely. And exactly,
1: they are our yeah. stories to tell. It is our exactly. narrative to narrate, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And and I I really do believe in the power of story because I think story forms our perceptions and experience, and it's it's such a powerful thing. And I mean, if if you do not decide the story that you want to live and decide the story that you want to tell, then somebody else is going to tell a story to you and you're going to believe that it's your story. And it it, it may partially be your story, but it's never going to feel right, you know?
0: Right. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. And And I think one of the things for me that was so powerful in my first trip to the African continent to be not only to Botswana, but with you mm-hmm. being yeah. a place that is home for you. I think right. I think there was so much honor in everything. Yeah. that you know, yeah, we had a chance to yeah. experience while we were there. I always, you know, when I was <laughs> yeah. it was like whenever you go to another country and you get back, people are always like, What was it like? What'd you do there? You know <laughs> yeah. And I said, Well, I got a chance to experience the capital city. And I got a chance yeah. to experience Maun, which was kind of like a, yeah. a medium-sized um, city. Mm-hmm. Got a chance to be in your village, you know, and meet right. the people right. there. I mean, there were just so many yeah. different yeah. aspects um, of yeah. of Botswana and of the culture there. And I think in a lot of ways, yeah. I had to, in my Americanness, I had to mm-hmm. let Botswana tell me who she is. Right. You know, right. let...
1: But, but also, I feel like... Um, you know, I think there's there's all these uh, what what should I call them multiplicities mm-hmm. to us? Mm-hmm. like and and I feel like a lot of times what happens is we lose the ability to hold our many selves mm-hmm. together, right. Mm-hmm. So I come to the US, I speak, now in a fancy accent and, oh my God, I can't go to the village or whatever it is, you know, it's it's like we change and then we because there's this hierarchy, one is better than the other or this one is more acceptable than this one or whatever it is that we tell ourselves, um, we end up like muting certain parts mm-hmm. of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, we find it difficult to hold our dualities or multiplicities. I am, you know, shaped by America in a way that I I never thought I would be. But I'm also shaped by Botswana in a way that I've always known it's shaped me and it's still shaping me. So, like, the people in the village are my people. (laughs) They are the people who held me when I was little. They are the people who... Came When I came back as a doctor, they came to my dad and were, like, so proud. They're the people who, like, kill a goat every time I'm home Mm. because they're so happy that I'm there. They are the people who, you know, want to see me married and have kids. And, like, they are part of my footprint, right? And I can't ever erase them from my DNA. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And for me... Their honouring of me has made me who I am today. Mm, You know what I mean? mm. Like I think my uncle told the story. So so my mom, her first pregnancy, she had twins and the girl died. Mm. The boy survived. So I was the first living girl. I was the third I am the third child. Mm. But I was the first living girl. Mm. And I, I don't know if you remember this at the at the lunch, but my uncle was like, When she was born her dad changed, completely Mm -hmm. changed. Mm -hmm. And they have seen how my presence, you know, um, has impacted the family. And they have seen how they have impacted me. And it's always, you know, sometimes it's like so shocking that your own people, they can't give you things and they can't, you know, (laughs) but you know you're special to them, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, it's, it's almost like you just know you're valued, you know what I mean? And, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know how to explain how special that place and going back to the village is for me because it's a community that although had very, very little when we were growing up, um, they gave us everything, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of babysitting or like chickens or like friendships because, you know, we had so many cousins, you know, running around or like, you know, the older cousins and giving you advice as you're becoming a teenager or, you know, it wasn't all thing like things, material things, but it was yeah, it was important things, and going back there always reminds me of that. That there's more. You, you're, we're part of a bigger, you know. Um, it's not just us individuals. Mm-hmm. There's like this web that we're all part of. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah.
0: Oh, that was was one of my most beautiful memories of being in Botswana was getting a chance to visit Mm. the village where you grew up and (laughs) seeing all of the older women in your village wearing these shawls (laughs) with the pins and brooches, just like, you know, sort of the church mothers, (laughs) you know, of my growing up would have done and just feeling. I think, you know, I talk a little bit in the book about just this feeling of lostness that a lot of Mm -hmm. uh, Black people in America. Feel that, like yeah. you know, you have yeah. some connection to this great continent. You right, just don't know right. exactly who your people are, and mm-hmm. you, you know that language and and some of the customs and culture they were stolen from you. And every trip mm-hmm. I have taken back to Africa, um, right now to Botswana and to Rwanda, uh, both places yeah. being very different. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, just also like yeah. that, just breaking that whole idea of like every place you mm-hmm. go in Africa. Africa's like a big old country. It's like right? that's not no. true at all. Africa is a big <laughs> exactly. old continent, continent, the biggest <laughs> continent. <laughs> that right? there is exactly, here. exactly, and all uh-huh. these different languages yeah. and tribes yeah. and customs, you know. But even being yeah. there in your village and looking at uh, the older aunties and, and mamas that yeah. are there in your yeah. village and feeling some sense of that yeah. lostness going away mm-hmm. that like, yeah. I am connected to these yeah. women, you know, yeah. like we are connected yeah. in some way. And there was a lot of beauty in that and healing mm-hmm. in that, I
1: think for me. Right. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. And you know, I mean, I think us as Africans, we can be so uh, blind to, to I think that sense of African Americans, like not knowing um, uh, like their roots or their ancestors or their people. And I think sometimes we can be a little like, well, Africa's ours, you're American, (laughs) you know? And um, I think I've gotten more and more or less and less possessive of Mm. Africa. Mm. Right, and more and more open to welcoming uh, African Americans here and home, uh, and not just African Americans, everyone, because I do realize I am African and I am proudly African. Yeah, I am not ashamed of being an African, and I want my Africa, my version of Africa, my experience of Africa, my story of Africa to be the one that people know, because then they know an authentic Africa, you Mm -hmm. know? So this authentic Africa is not necessarily somebody else's authentic Africa. But if I am unwelcoming, then the narrative that exists is always going to exist. Right. 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 So, um, I think I think we do have to open open ourselves up to people coming to our home and people hearing us and people being with mm-hmm. us you know I mean one of the one of the things Leah and I always used to say is come with us <laughs> come with us so you can know like what what we're doing or what is happening or like you know yeah. You can know our our truth, mm. you know. So and it, it may just be a truth, mm-hmm. but it, it is a significant truth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. Una, catch, catch us up because in the
0: book, people are <clears throat> meeting you. They're hearing about you. They're hearing mm-hmm. about Barona. They're hearing about this gala. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's... In my story, it goes on into Rwanda, so we don't get a chance to yeah. sort of have that moment <laughs> at the end of the movie where it's like, "Whatever happened to Doctor Uno? What is Doctor <laughs> yeah. Uno doing now?" Yeah. So catch yeah. us up from, you know, you're there in America, yeah. getting this education with all the mm-hmm. intent, which I love, all the intent to return yeah. home. What yeah. What is is was the transition like? From yeah. receiving yeah. this education, having this goal in your mind, this is what I feel mm-hmm. called to do when I return home to my people. What yeah. what has what was that transition like, and what is life
1: like now? Yeah. So just a little bit of background um because I know you talk about Leah and Botswana. so Leah is my best friend and she's from Texas I'm from Botswana she's an artist I'm a doctor and when we met I've had this long-standing vision about a children's hospital in Botswana so I tell her all about it and I'm like but I just don't want it to be like every other hospital where people think of death I want it to be a life-giving place so we come up with this thing <laughs> where we're like we're gonna build an art installation slash garden that's going to double up as a hospital. <laughs> mm. One day we will do it. Because <laughs> art is just as healing, right? Mm-hmm. As medicine. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the organization is called Barona and, and Barona is the word for ours. And mm-hmm. it's in reference to our children. Mm. So um, we come to Botswana, we do this gala and basically it was to say thank you to the healers because there's a lot of um, negativity around uh, healthcare in mm. in in sort of our places, what is available, what is not available, how the healthcare stuff acts and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we just wanted to say, we know it's hard, but we see you. Um, and shortly after that, I went back to the U.S. and I actually um, was going to do another fellowship at at Harvard believe it or not but I ended up hating it so much and I quit Harvard <laughs> I, I love saying that actually <laughs> I love being like I quit Harvard to go back to Botswana <laughs> yes it's like that, that to me is
0: like this extra level of brilliance like yeah
1: I went to Harvard
0: and I quit that place because I needed to do some other
1: things. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So I moved home and, um, I knew the challenges of the healthcare system in Botswana. Mm. There isn't enough people like, workforce, like medical people, there isn't enough equipment, there isn't enough medication, there isn't enough of anything. Um, But Botswana does have a very functioning healthcare system and one of the best actually, if you look at the WHO standards or UNICEF or any of those. Um, So we're very good at some things. But I am an ICU pediatrician. So Mm. I see critical patients. And Um, traditionally, when we talk about global health, we're talking about primary health care. So we're talking about clean water, we're talking about girl education, we're talking about vaccines, you know. We don't talk about asthma in Botswana, Mm. (laughs) you know. And asthma can kill you. We don't talk about, you know, um, septic shock or things like that. So we, we treat kids or we treat most people, and children at a very basic level. And there's really minimal guidelines about tertiary or higher level care Mm. in settings like ours. So I come back home. There is an ICU at at the hospital I work at, but it's not a children's ICU. And basically there's never been somebody who's trained to do the work that I do. Um, And it has been very, (laughs) Let me just say for the first six months I wanted to quit every day. Mm-hmm. And I cried and I yelled mm-hmm. and I but but I think what I knew was I am not here to put anybody down because just because you're not trained doesn't mean you cannot work in an ICU and doesn't mean you do not have the best intentions for your patients, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm the one that has the knowledge and you're already in the ICU as a nurse and you've been there for five years, well, you've never had a pediatric ICU specialist guiding you so i'm here to collaborate with you because both of us want kids to do better right Mm. so it was very difficult uh initially because people are not used to certain standards and you know um there's no developed standard of excellence for ICU, pediatric ICU in Botswana, because there isn't a pediatric ICU. So here I am, and I'm like, no, this child doesn't have to die. Why should they die just because they have diarrhea and they're dehydrated? I don't understand, right? right. So I throw these tantrons, because I really didn't understand why our kids have to just die, and we're all there at the hospital. Um, so just developing like a critical care culture Mm. at the hospital, you know. And it's been hard, and I'd say the first six months were really the most difficult. But I think culture building is about just repetition, right, Mm. repetition. You know, by the 10th dehydrated diarrhea patient, somebody knows, okay, I need to do a, B, C, D. And and it's not that people didn't have knowledge, right? I think people had knowledge. And I think people still have knowledge. And they're, they're doing the best that they can, actually. I just think there's a... When you have somebody who's trained to do something, mm-hmm. your, level, your standard of um, functioning just goes higher, you know? Right. Um, so I think what I brought to the table was sort of like... um first of all, passion Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just saying it is not every child that comes to the ICU has to die. And secondly, like showing that it is possible. It is possible for children to survive, Mm -hmm. critical children to survive. Mm -hmm. And it is possible that our mortality rates can go down, you know, and also like, you can hold yourself to a higher standard. You mm-hmm. can, mm-hmm. you know, I know you're being asked to give more than you should be asked to give, right? If if I'm a general nurse or if I'm a general doctor and I now have to do ICU, that's a very different skill set, right. right? And it's a very different, it, it's so demanding. You know, ICU is about life and death. You know, it's 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 not the general ward where people are like, oh, you're sick. But, you know, you could go home tomorrow. I see you as like, okay, you could die or, or we could try and do something so you don't die, mm-hmm. you know. And that's a lot to ask of people, yeah. you know. Um, so I think just, I hate the word empower, so I never use it. But repeating good care practices enough that the people who are working in that space feel able Mm. to actually treat patients mm-hmm. and have good outcomes and it's been amazing to see like the transformation you know and to see the patients come back because they they almost all went <laughs> used to go to the mall. you know they wow. they all died almost all of them died so you know to see the people in the ICU light up when kids come back in their life, you know, and they're doing well and they're laughing and they're growing and they're like, you know, being shy and being kids. I mean, it's, it's, so everybody feels a sense of it's possible. (laughs) There's hope it can be done. We can do this, you know, and we can, you know, and I think ultimately when it's time, you know, we'll look for funds and we'll, We'll try and do you know the big vision of the hospital but I think right now it's about just being here being mm. with the workers yeah. and being like I see you it's mm. hard I see you and we're we're doing it we're mm. doing it together you know and um yeah the possibility <laughs> you know and people feeling able you know has yeah. been amazing it's been amazing <sighs> Yeah. I just, I just actually, (laughs) I just actually, short story. I just actually had a um, patient's sister Mm -hmm. text me. I had a 14 year old boy who came in paralyzed and thankfully he survived that whole thing and he would have died. Right. But he survived and he went home and he was, he went home with a walker because he couldn't, he didn't have a steady gait yet, but he wasn't sick enough to be in the hospital mm. anymore. He was on life support for like two weeks, got off the life support, was wobbly. We sent him home. So she sent me all these pictures of him playing with his siblings and sitting in a chair. And, and she's like, he's doing so well. He's back to his normal self. And I was just like, oh, this is what it's about, yeah. you know? And if it's, it's for the one, if it's for the one, it's fine. You know, it's like... Yeah. So (laughs) that's where I'm at. That's how it's been. (laughs) Wow. Una,
0: that just, (laughs) I mean, outside of the fact that that's just amazing to me (laughs) to hear. I think the part that encourages me most when I hear that is that sometimes God is calling Mm -hmm. you to a big thing. Yeah. But on your way to what you view to be the bigger vision, there is mm-hmm. a part of the being here, where things yeah. are right now, and yeah. building there, and growing there, yeah. and being yeah. a community there, and I think there is a lot of beauty and wisdom and maturity yeah. to that because yeah. I think sometimes there can be this thing like, whoa, God's calling me right? to <laughs> build this or do this," you know. Yeah. I got to go do yeah. it right now, right. and like, yeah. you know, what are the yeah. things that yeah. I may look at as being the smaller thing mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. also
1: the big thing in the a big lot of things, ways. Actually, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. I feel that. And it's taken a long time for me to to get to this point, right? Because before I was just like, I just need to build a hospital. But now it's like actually the hospital will get built. Whether mm-hmm. it's by me or by someone else, mm-hmm. it'll get built. What mm-hmm. is important is to care for the people that God has put in our path and to care for them with the skill and the love and the care and all the resource that God has given us to care for them. You know? And ultimately that's building the dream, right? Yeah. That's building the that's that is building the hospital. So uh, yeah. I, y'all do y'all see why I went
0: to Africa <laughs> with this lady right here? It's like how could
1: you have a conversation with her and
0: when she's like Like next time I feel like Una and Leah are going to be like, come to Mars with us. And I'll probably be like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, girl. Okay. (laughs) They got a spaceship. Everything's fine. We'll put our luggage on there. Everything's good. Like it's so compelling. Una, and in in closing, I want to ask you one last question. As Mm -hmm. I know that many people who will be reading this book or many people listening um, to this episode are searching for home. In a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh some mm-hmm. people may be having the experience you did where you you know grew up in a place that was home. You have to move somewhere yeah. else and sort of make home there, and then you feel called to return to this yeah. home where you grew up you know what what advice or or wisdom would you give to people who may be searching for home or may find themselves having to create home in a place that they didn't. Mm-hmm think would be home or didn't mm-hmm. want to be home? What, what wisdom would you share with our listeners in that
1: way? Yeah. Um, oh, that, I think that's a difficult question, right? <laughs> um, but I do honestly think that homes, that's with self yeah. um, because I don't think home is necessarily a place, but it's mm. a person. And I think first it's you, right? And, and I'll speak from, my experience i am a christian so for me home is wherever god is and by that i mean like god lives within me (laughs) right i am an image bearer i'm created in his image so for me like if god is there i am home and and that's the that's a very broad statement Mm. but but i think if we never find a a sense of self, we'll never find a sense of home because we'll never feel like we fit. I think we have to be comfortable with who we are first, but then also for me, and and I think this is this is um, influenced by the fact that I grew up in a society that's very very communal rather mm-hmm. than individualistic. Right? Mm-hmm. For me, I feel like myself is. The people who are in me, right? My mom, my grandma, my dad, my uncles, my aunts. Mm -hmm. Like, so for me, self is also not just me as a human body individual. Self is like the broader community around me um and what they've meant to my life and 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 how they've influenced my life um and i think if we can find that sense of self whether it's individual or it's more community or communal uh then that's the first that's the foundation yeah you know mm-hmm. um, and then you take that into every space you go to and uh and then you i, I also, I, again, I go back to story, right? Mm. Because um, we're we're all living stories. <laughs> right. We're all like, we're all like, you know, a love letter from God, you know. Mm. And I just feel like uh, sometimes we want home to be a final place, but I don't know that it ever is, right? I think we're we're always going to be searching for home, but we're always going to be home. I don't know mm, if that makes sense. That does make sense. You know, sense. so, yeah. so yeah. But don't don't. Uh, I I guess my advice is it's it's okay to look for home within yourself and within your community, mm. and it's also okay to realize that if you do not find home, uh, it doesn't mean that you are not home, and it also doesn't mean you will never find home. Mm, you know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Um, It just means that like everyone in this life, you're on a journey and the journey is the destination. So, so, um, yeah, yeah. I don't no. know if any of that makes sense. No,
0: that was, <laughs> that was wonderful. Dr. <laughs> Lali, thank you for taking the time to just share Aww. more of your story with us and for inviting me into <laughs> the story that God was writing in your life. I am so happy Aww, to have been a part of that. Thank so you so much. Thank yeah. you for taking the time uh, to talk with us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And I'm looking forward to sharing thank more you guys. of the stories <laughs> of how to fix a broken record with you. Talk to y'all soon. Thank you. Mina. <laughs> the how to fix a broken record podcast is produced by dj ope diggy at orange fuzz studios in atlanta georgia the book how to fix a broken record is available wherever books are sold thanks for listening